Hey friends, we're so glad that you've chosen to tune into this podcast from Revival Fires today. We pray that this message brings you closer to Jesus. We'd love to host you at our regular Sunday morning meetings, 10.30 a.m. in Dudley. Also check out our website for our upcoming events. We look forward to welcoming you to our next event. All right, here we go. Here is the message. I want to continue where I left off last week for a little bit of a recap. I feel I needed to open up some things that I... I shared last week on four stages in terms of a journey into journeying into the presence of God. And I I said to you, you all know that, you know, I'm one of those that believe it's a one step, a one step transformation. And that one step is that um, if any man is in Christ, any woman is in Christ, they become a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. And so I do believe that there is a sense where there is a transformation that takes place at our acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. People call that transaction a conversion. We are turned around. We are changed from one thing into another. And we become part of a new creation. And so I believe that. And so what I share is not with regard to who we are in Christ. It isn't about, and I do not, I do not ascribe to self-help groups But let me tell you, if you go to a self-help group and it's helping you, stay there. You understand? But I I believe that there is a a divine help whose name is Holy Spirit. And and he he is the one that allows us to experience all that Jesus is, not was, is. So therefore, his life in the new creation, he's the firstborn from among the dead. So Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. So, you know, if you're looking for a new creation, when Jesus comes again, it's already started. And you could, you could waste all the years that you have until Jesus comes, if we're around, looking for something that he said it's already here. And so there is a new creation that we've come into. And so with that, that he wants to, Holy Spirit wants to transform us. But there's also, in terms of our journey with God... And also in understanding the purposes of God. That doesn't all come at conversion. That doesn't all come at the time when you were transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me this morning? And so if you want to understand God's purpose, I believe that there is a journey. There are stages that we go through. I believe God wants to open up again the realms of the supernatural. We've heard it shared so many times this morning, God opening our eyes. And I feel that God wants to open our eyes. And and as he opens our eyes, we could call it, there's a windows of opportunity come to us. Other people can call it portals. And, And so I feel that there are stages and the enemy always wants to try and hinder what it is that God wants us to do. Okay? And, and this was brought very clearly to us. Um, we were in India a few weeks ago now, um, two weeks ago, and um, we, were, we had a, an email. We got all our flights booked um, to leave a place called Bagdogra to get to Delhi, which is a three-hour flight. And um, 
We had all our flights booked up and then nine o'clock in the morning when we're just about to leave for the airport, we have an email sent saying our flight has been delayed. So it was no longer going to be at one o'clock, it was going to be at six o'clock in the evening. And you think, drats. And, uh, but anyway, we took off to the airport, believing that something miraculous would happen. And as we're driving to the airport, I close my eyes. And, and as I close my eyes, um, literally a portal opened up. It was like, um, as I closed my eyes, there was this circle that opened up. And I saw a huge black truck in front of us. And... Um, and I just prayed that God would remove, and even before I started to say, God, would you remove the, and I was about to say obstacles, and the Lord said, I have removed every obstacle. There will be no delay to you arriving home. And, and then I saw this black vehicle pull off the road. And, uh, and I thought, yes. <laughs> We're going to get tickets. And so we go into the airport and into the, well, we're outside of the airport. We go up to the desk and um, I go up. I tell Sharon to go and wait in the car because Sharon sometimes gets a little bit sort of um, nervous when um, I'm being assertive. <laughs> and uh, so, so the... The, the first thing that I have to do, I, I have to be on, on cue control. Because there's one little kiosk, and there's three people around it, but then there's also four other people this side of it. And the four people this side have got there after we got there. Now that causes me a big problem. It's called pushing in. I, I don't like people pushing in. And so no matter how big that, and some of them were big guys. And I said, uh, excuse me, but could I just let you know that there is a line here and the back of the line is behind me. So this guy started to get a little bit upset with me. So I just smiled at him. And I just said, I just said no, I just said, there is a line. And uh, the thing is, he said, well, I've got to go and get somewhere. I said, well, I think you'll realize if you ask everybody in this line, they're all trying to get somewhere too. So um, let's just get into order. And, and it will all work out. And, and so then he, I think he probably realized he wasn't going to get anywhere with me. So then he, he starts to go on to this other guy who was this French guy that I, I just met in the queue. And we just were chalking. And then they just seemed to attack. And I said, look, hold on. I, I now become, I now become the, the, the battle controller. Because the, this guy is going on at this poor French guy. And, um, and I, said, I said, look, hold on. He hasn't done anything. He is just waiting in the line too. And, uh, and so it all calms down. I'm, Sharon was very thankful that um, I'm there on my own. I would go over to her and I said, it's okay. We're getting closer to getting the tickets. I think it's going to be okay. And then as we come up to the kiosk, they said, look, your flight is at six o'clock. And then George, who I'm with, phones up a friend who's the other side of the kiosk. He is one of the workers in the airport. And he said, how likely is this flight to take place? It's at 6 o'clock tonight. He said, Trevor, there are no flights that ever fly out of here after 5 o'clock in the evening. Because it's a military zone and they just do not allow flights after 5 o'clock. So whatever they've told you, they will be putting you in a hotel. So with that, I um, say to the person, I said, come on, let's go to another kiosk. We'll come back to this one later. We'll go to another one at the moment. We go to another kiosk because I'm thinking, 
God, you said all the obstacles are moved out of the way. You'd get us home. And so then we go to another kiosk. In that kiosk, there is one flight, one seat available. And, and it's on another flight. It's on Indigo. Tom usually travels on Indigo. And so um, we say, how much is it? They said, well, it's this much. And we had the money with us to be able to p and pay for it. Um, but the thing was, it meant that we had to leave um, Bagdogra, fly to Calcutta, and from Calcutta, fly all the way back to um, Delhi. So we now start traveling at, we've been traveling since 10 o'clock in the morning. It's now 2 o'clock when we get on the flight. We travel to Calcutta. We get there. Everything's sorted out. We then get to um, Delhi. Uh, 10 o'clock at night, I think it was 10 o'clock at night, we get through, everything's fine. And it wasn't until I arrived home on the Monday, this is the point of all of those things, obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. I didn't want to go to Calcutta. I didn't want to go from, have to find my way through Calcutta. I didn't want to have to stand in the queue with all this rumpus that's going on. And just to say, this guy, see, show mercy to people. Do you know what he said to me, the, the French guy? He says, um, he said, um, Trevor, because we got to know each other first term names. He said, Trevor, he said, um, listen, I'm quite happy to um, take the later flight if you want my ticket. He says, no problem to me. I said, you know, that is so kind of you, but I need two tickets because my wife's in the car waiting. And he said, well, he said, I can't do that. I said, no. I said, but I really appreciate um, you offering me your seat. See, and, and so we, when we get home, I'm thinking, God... You said you'd move every obstacle out of the way. I just seemed that I was having to move them out myself, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and then the Lord really spoke to me and he said, Trevor, when did you arrive home? I said 10.30 on um, Friday morning. He says, and what time were you due to arrive home? I said 10.30 Friday morning. <laughs> And he said, so there wasn't any delay. <laughs> and I did say I would move all the obstacles out of the way. Yeah. See, sometimes our perspective yes. of how God moves obstacles out of the way yeah. are different yeah. to ours. Yes. You see, and there may be things in your path this morning that you are seeking to progress in terms of God's purpose for your life, your journey of life, which is purpose, is a, a journey with a purpose. That's destiny, a journey with a purpose. And so you may be thinking there's all these obstacles, but let me tell you, God is working to his time plan, and you may think it's an obstacle, but it was just opportunities to encounter different things that we would have never encountered. And so there was. I mean, you would have been... Well, Sharon was really pleased with me, so you would be. I didn't lose my call with anybody. I didn't get angry with anybody. I mean, even the big guy was really showing his muscle. I needed somebody like Tony around with me. You know, and... In the end, we were all just standing, talking to each other. And we all had become friends when it had become so heated. And we all realized that we all just wanted the same thing. We all just wanted to get out of Bagdogra that day, you know. And, and so, see, there's, there's times when there may look like it's an obstacle and you're going to be delayed... But you end up actually getting to the place that God wants you to get to right on time. And so that's stages. So that's journey. And, and so here, this morning, it's just looking at those four stages because there are obstacles. 
you know, there's things that come into our lives that has nothing at all to do with you. It's just decisions that other people make. And listen, and when they make those decisions, they're not really making them to make you frustrated. When they cancelled the flight, they didn't sort of look at the list of everybody who was on the flight and thought, oh yes, Trevor Baker's on this list. Now he hates lines, so we'll give him a, a real bad line to sort out. He doesn't like getting into altercations, so we'll put some big guys there, so he'll have to have an altercation with them. <laughs> and also, he will have to depend on other people trying to work out where he's going to get to in terms of going from Bagdogra to Calcutta to Delhi. Can you see? And yet we think, we think the enemy is always trying to foul us up like that. Listen, he hasn't got your number. So don't give him credit, which he doesn't deserve. It was just part of this journey that I needed to get home. And it was what God was going to do in me more than the obstacles that I was facing. Okay? So if you're facing seeming delays or obstacles... Ask God for his final word. Because when he gives you the final word, you can rest secure. And so there wasn't, we were just asking, do you have a better flight? You know, is no, this is the only one. Okay, so we'll take that one. And so we, we got to where we needed to get to. Listen, God is working his purpose out for you. He will get you to where you need to be. And so we looked at these four stages. We looked at the first stage, you see, that you have to separate yourself. Do you remember last week, separating yourself from the crowd? And we looked at... Um, Exodus 19, was it Exodus 19? Let me just get it. Or was it Numbers 19? Let me just look at here. Numbers 19 and Numbers 24. Those were the two passages. Mark them down because you're going to need to go over this yourself. You know, I'm here to give you a little window or a key to go into the room, but it's whether or not you will use the key of the teaching this morning to go into the room and to allow God to reveal lots more that's relevant for you. Okay? If you don't do it, well then that's up to you. And so here we see those, we see in chapter 19... Moses goes up the mountain, first time he's told to go up the mountain. And with that, he goes up alone. And when he's on the mountain, God gives him the law. So the mountain is Sinai. And listen, that was what the, and also what the Jews celebrate today. When they celebrate Pentecost, they celebrate the giving of the law upon Sinai. Now, we celebrate the giving of the Spirit. Now, it's not that one's cancelled out the other. It's just the law, the Word, and the Spirit comes together. Smith Wigglesworth said that there would be an end-time move of God where the Word and the Spirit come together. And with that, there would be a global revival, the likes of which the world has not seen. That's God's ultimate purpose. That's his Delhi. Or should I say that's his Birmingham? That's where we needed to get to. And so here he goes up. Now, the law was given. The law was given so they would know how to live in community. So if you look at all the laws from chapter 19, Numbers 19 to Numbers 24, you, you read there and in it, it's all the various laws governing community living. Now, 
Don't you think that living in community is far more difficult than seeking the presence of God? Huh? I mean, I love seeking the presence of God. I can go there on my own. I don't need you. And I don't need to have the hassle. Do you understand? We, we love the presence, don't we? And it's just like, I can't be doing with that, you know? I, I don't need the lines, I don't need the cues, I don't need the, the confrontational, just, Lord, I just want to come into your presence, you know, isn't that great? But the thing is, in those chapters, it's all about how we live together. And so, what happens is with that, we get stuck there, and when we get stuck there, we become legalistic. Well, you should have done that, you should have done this, you didn't do that, you didn't do that. And so, he, it was never meant for that purpose it was meant to keep us working and together relationally hallelujah but the second time he goes up it's all about presence hallelujah and and with that he goes up the next time and when he he goes up in terms of Exodus chapter 24, let me, let me say, no. The first, let me just get it right for you. It is Exodus 19. The first time Moses is called to go up the mountain. And then he's given laws with regard to the community. The next time he goes up is 24. Exodus 24. When he goes up in Exodus 24, the crowd is told that they are to stand around the mountain, but they're not to touch it. The 70 elders who have been anointed by Moses and also the high priest together with Joshua, who seems a, a little bit of an anomaly. He shouldn't have been there. Why? Well, he was of the tribe of Ephraim. I mean, nothing to do with priesthood, nothing to do. He was too young to be one of the 70 leaders, but he gets stuck in there. Wow. Do you feel you've just been stuck in there? And, and so here is what happens. They go up, and, and with that, they reach a place. See, this is why we need to get back to the supernatural realms of heaven. We really do. Because there, listen to what it says, as they go up in chapter 24, it says here, Now Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up they saw the God of Israel. We've been asking God to open our eyes. They saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. Hallelujah. Now to get understand, this is why we need to understand these things. It's not just a teaching of encounter where we look at the supernatural church. We have to be living it out. And so here you then have to go to um, Ezekiel chapter 10. And in Ezekiel chapter 10 verse 1, again, let me read it to you. So this is way back, Exodus. They've just come out from under the um, servitude of Pharaoh. And then in Exodus, sorry, Exodus, I'm getting my chapters mixed up. In Ezekiel... Listen to what it says in chapter 10. And I looked and I saw the likeness of a throne of sapphire above the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim. Have you got that? So here there is now a little bit of a development because in Exodus he says that there, there was something like a pavement made of sapphire. Now in Ezekiel, it's this pavement that is above their heads. Then you go to 
Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, we start to see what is taking place in the throne room of heaven, which is the region above the sapphire or the crystal sea. Now listen, do not think that these are just symbolic language that we have to find and sort out what it all means. This is the reality of the supernatural realm. And so here, thrones were set in place. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that there is jurisdictions in which thrones are governing certain areas. Are you with me? Just like the British, well, what was the British Empire? It's a very small place now. Um, But you see, there is thrones that were set in place. Um, come to something in a moment, because this is what we have to get hold of. Because if we don't, the supernatural end makes no sense at all. And we, we go through life with blinkers on or blindfolds on, stumbling around instead of being informed by the purpose of God. Because this is where it comes from. And so then, thrones were set in place, And then the Ancient of Days takes his throne. Okay, so have you got that? Thrones? Then there's one throne in which the Ancient of Days takes his seat. It's ancient because he is past, present, and future. And so then he gets up in Daniel, he gets up from his throne... And he makes a decision in favor of the saints. And so what they were experiencing, you find this in Daniel 7. So the opposition that they were experiencing, he steps in and he makes a decision. And so there is a throne room activity where decisions are made. And those decisions are the decrees for the events that are taking place on the earth. Okay? So we got that. And so then we are, go over to Job chapter 1, the oldest book of the Bible. So therefore, Job was operating as a priest king... In his family. It is the oldest book. All the historians, all the theologians would tell you that. And so here is what we see is how priest king operates. And so priest king, he is there and he's offering sacrifices because he doesn't know how his sons and daughters are living their life. And also he is there to rule over his family. That's his jurisdiction. And so in that place, as he is offering, it says that there was a time when the sons of God came to present themselves to the throne room. And they brought reports back. So that is angelic beings Hebrews chapter 1 talks about that when it says angels are ministering spirits sent on behalf of those who would inhabit eternal salvation. So now you have this angelic host that are the ascending, descending angels. It's all in the scriptures. If you're finding this difficult, let me say, it's probably not because I'm not making it clear, it's because you don't know the scriptures very well. And your understanding of the Bible will be based on your understanding of the book of Revelation. Why do I say that? The book of Revelation introduces nothing new. Everything that's in Revelation has already been introduced. It's the endings of everything in Revelation. Also, in the book of Genesis, it is the beginning. So there's nothing that doesn't begin in Genesis. Nothing. It is all there. 
Hallelujah. So then there's the unfolding plan. But God knows from the beginning, works to the end. And so here, so these angels came up and these demons came up and they were making their presentation. Just like Daniel, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days come. And you think, well, Trevor, where do we stand in all of this? Well, for you and for me, there is a wonderful place. And you find it in Psalm 91. And it's called a secret place. It is called the secret place of the Most High. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High abides under the shadow of the Almighty. That is under that glory canopy of the Almighty. He will say of the Lord, he is my rock, my refuge, my God, in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence and from the arrow that flies at noonday. A thousand will fall at your right and ten thousand at your left. Because he loves me, says the Lord. I've just picked out a few. Because he loves me, says the Lord. I, with long life, will I honor him and show him my salvation. Wonderful. See, now that is the place where we are brought to dwell in. That is the dwelling place of every saint, born again believer. We come to that place. And in that place... Not like old order of Job where people could come and bring, demonics could come, bring accusations. Here now, there is no accusation brought against the saints. Why? Because they overcame him by what? The blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony. Why? Because the accuser of the Brothers has been, has been cast down. It's a past tense. It's something that's been done. It's not going to be done. It has been done. Wow. See, now we have to understand what it means when we talk about living in the supernatural realm. Because if we don't get this, is all we would do is we would just wander around like blindfolded men and women groping around trying to find things that fit into place in our life. And so here, this is where the anointing takes you. Have you noticed? Only the people who were anointed reached that second stage. The crowd couldn't get up. So, you know, if you're here this morning just as part of the crowd, well, I think I'll go to church this morning, you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot depend upon your parents, your grandparents, who your mom was, who your dad was, whether they were the greatest preacher or not. It depends upon who you are in the presence of Jesus. That's it. There are no second generational Christians. It's only first generation. Hallelujah. Yes, we have three generations here. Sharon's side now is five generations. We have three generations on my side of our family. But let me tell you, each and every one has had to make their own decision. My decision carries no weight for them. Did you know that? Yeah, I did, Grandpa. <laughs> carries no weight. So, so the crowd, and if you're struggling to understand some of this, you need to ask yourself the question, Am I, have I just been following a crowd where I haven't known what anointing was? See, in the anointing came through Moses. Moses anointed the 70 elders. He also anointed Joshua. He also anointed Caleb because when he sent them out as uh, spies. And so here is what you have is that they went up to this next place. And in this place, the anointing will open all that I've just talked to you about up to you. 
You won't find it written in books. But let me tell you, Holy Spirit will take of the things of Christ. Where is Christ seated? In heavenly realms, the right hand of the Father, and he will reveal to you. He will reveal it to you. So without the anointing, is all we have is perspiration and information. With the anointing, we have inspiration and revelation. Your choice. I would rather, I would rather keep my inspiration and revelation than give it up because some book or some of this says it's this or that or the other. I have seen it. When God opens up things, it's so that we can see it. And so what you have then in this, this place, this stage is that they are there in this location on the mountain. And in that location on the mountain, they also, as we did last week, they break bread. They drank or they ate and they drank. You see, the, the new covenant, in that sense, wasn't something that was new. It was already contained in the old. And like, you, like I've shown you in my Bible, I haven't got, I've torn a page out. It's okay. It's one of the non-inspirational pages. It's just what people have put in in order to try and help us, but I think it probably hinders us more than anything with Old Testament, New Testament. You know, I've took, taken that page out. So I've got one book uh, made up of 66 books, and they just carry on one to the other. And, um, and so there you find that this, this place of anointing and this place of fellowship and this place of communion is all there on the mountain. Hallelujah. And what is it there for? It's so that we can go up higher. And so here, the next stage of that is Joshua. See, it says there in your Bible, same as in my Bible, just so that we make sure we're reading from the same. It says here, the Lord said to Moses, come up here onto the mountain, stay here, I will give you the tablets. And then it says, I have written for you their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his assistant. Have you got it? So now the 70 and the three priests are left behind and now there's only two who go up to a new place. And so here is what you're having is with Moses, God is giving him instruction, but Moses is this wonderful father figure, and you don't hear much about his children, but you do hear about Joshua. And, and with all that's taking place, Moses just takes Joshua up with him. And, uh, and it says here, and Moses set out with Joshua, his assistant. It seems that that was Moses' decision. Hello? God didn't say, Moses, can you and Joshua come up? It says Moses set out with Joshua, his assistant. And so they went up to a new place. And so... For us, there is something wonderful about relationship. You see, here is what is going to happen, and this is for us all here. If you're wanting to become informed by revelation, even of the things that I've just shared, it doesn't come out of discipline, it comes out of discipleship. And there is a big difference. See, discipline speaks of the rod. You've done something wrong, I'm going to correct you. But discipleship speaks of relationship. And so, who are you relationally connected to? Now, don't say, well, it's my friend and 
See, friends are good. But sometimes it's not a friend who's going to take you where God needs you to be. Do you understand? Moses had already been up there once before. Now he's going up a second time because this time it's more important. And, and with that, he takes Joshua, his assistant, his servant, with him. Now, they go up to a new level together. And so I feel that even in our walk, who are you walking up with and that person has gone further than you? Otherwise, you'd only get what you've got. And nobody gets anywhere without people helping them. Let me tell you, somebody will open doors for you. We never get anywhere on our own. We might think we do, and there are people who think, well, I don't need your help, and that's okay. But you see, there is a pattern here and also Jesus gives us the practice so what you see in pattern form and I said this last week is in practice with Jesus and so as we look at Joshua and I'm going to leave you just a number of things to go away with this morning I've just probably boggled some of you with revelation um, but I want to leave you with some things about this person, Joshua. And when I come back in, I'll talk some more of these things. But you see, Joshua was a man who was committed to discipleship. Okay? We need to get away from discipline. Discipleship is not Discipline. Discipleship is all about getting people to see what you have seen. That's it. That's what disciple. If you haven't seen anything, you cannot disciple someone else. So discipleship is all about getting others to see what you've seen. And then for them to get others to see what they've seen. And so it is so easy to get hold of your own independent vision. And I'm not saying God won't bless it. But let me tell you, you won't move into revelatory realms. You will move into information-based places. And making decisions on the pros and cons. Let me tell you. With God, there is no pros and cons. He's not interested in the things that are for you, the things that are against you. He's interested in one thing, and that is, will you walk up with Moses? Will you walk up higher with somebody who's been in those places? And so here, just some things with regard to um, Joshua for you to go away with. First thing we find about his life, and that is, I think it's in chapter Exodus 17, and he is seen as a warrior, a soldier. That's the first time he's mentioned. And that is that Moses goes up onto, the, onto a, a, a high vantage point. He's got Aaron and her with him, and they're going to hold the rod up. And he says to Joshua, I want you to go into the battlefield, and I want you to strike down the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were a people who were trying to completely destroy God's people as they came out of Egypt. They were an obstacle. God says, no, this obstacle has to be removed. And so, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, why can't I be her? You know, that, well, probably not so much me because, you know, put me into a line and I'll find something to do. Um, but you, you got that place when... He says to him, I'm up on the mountain, Moses. I'll lift up the rod, but I want you to go into the midst of the battle. See, so you see him first operating as a warrior, a soldier. But he's operating as a soldier out of direct instructions 
from Moses. And he doesn't say ifs or buts. He just goes and does it. Now, they weren't a fighting people, so it wasn't as if he was probably more skilled than anybody else. But he was a man of faith. And so here he was a soldier. He was told to choose men. So he was given responsibility to choose who he was to take with him. And also, he came back victorious. So that was him as a soldier. The next you see him, the next little cameo that you see, is of a servant. And we've mentioned it here. But also, um, if you go to Exodus 24, um, he went up and when Moses went back down into the camp with all the instructions, it says Joshua remained in the tent of meeting. Wow. So he was a man who... As a servant, he served the anointing. So again, these are words that I feel that we cross out from our practice. But who are you serving? You say, but I want the anointing. Yes, the anointing comes via a person. People have said to me, God would do this, Trevor, irrespective of you. I said, I'm sorry, but he wouldn't. Why? Well, first of all, he chose me. He chose you. So he's not going to do it irrespective of you. Why would he choose you? So therefore, he has a purpose for your life. And we need to stop all this silly nonsense that people get into. Well, you know, God will do it irrespective of you. You know, it's not all about you. Yeah, but the anointing comes on people. Let's start honoring people. And as we honor people, we find that, listen, there's something about this person. And it's not just the person. There's an anointing upon them. That's why they're in this place. Do you know, of all the people who I was at a drug rehabilitation center with many, many years ago now, 50 years this October I've been a Christian. So I've seen a few things. And do you know that the majority of those people, and there was 48 people there over the, the time I went, 48 people could be housed there. Over the time I was there, there was probably 200 people who had come and gone. Of those people, there's myself, a guy called Peter Jug, who led me to Christ, and one other person. That's three people of all the people who are around during that time that we know. See, it doesn't come easy. You have to keep taking the next step. See, it's easy to backslide. It's easy to go back. Is all you do is you take one step back. And because you take one step back, it's easier to take the next step. And so here, he, he was one who served the anointing. And then the third thing was he needed to understand discernment. You see, it's so easy. It's so easy to move in gifting. And listen, Joshua was a man in gifting. And some of you um, people who are growing up in the prophetic don't think that because we did a school, it's all over. See, there's certain things that we need discernment for. And you see, Joshua, he could be on the mountain, he could be there as a special relationship, but when they come down the mountain, is that you see he needs discipleship. He needs discipleship because he says to them in 32.17, he says, I hear the sound of victory. And Moses says to him, Joshua, Listen, that is not the sound of victory that I hear. It's the sound of defeat. See, listen, there is still room for you to learn and be discipled in discernment. 
so that we're not distracted by different sounds that we think we've heard them before. And he would have known what victory sound was about. But you see, this wasn't victory. It was a sound. See, and that's when we start to be discipled into the ways of God. And then the next time, you see, so, okay, I'm registering that sound. And then he comes down and they, they have the whole thing where Moses wants everybody to be anointed. And, uh, and so they're all prophesying. And what happens was this, Joshua comes and he is jealous for Moses. He was overextending Moses' position. That's really, so we need to be real with our relationships. And he says that Joshua, I am jealous for Moses. And he says, Moses, stop these people, Eldad and Medad, stop them. Because they're prophesying outside of the cup. They shouldn't be doing this. And again, he needed discernment. And Moses says to him, Joshua, I wish that all God's people were prophets. Can you see? And so even in his gifting, he needed heightened levels of discipleship. That's Joshua. And so you think, well, here he is going up the mountain, all of these things, and that's all great. And then also, chapter Exodus 33, 11, is he desired presence more than anything else. If he was going to grow in discernment, it wasn't going to come through Moses. It was going to come through presence. And so when Moses came in the camp, Joshua decided to stay in the tent of meeting. See, because he realized that if he was to move into a heightened level of spiritual anointing, it would not be given to him by a man. It would only come through God. And so he gave himself time to develop his relationship. And so here, in the early years of his life, you see him in the tent. And then in the latter years of his life, Joshua chapter 24, when he's just given everything to everybody, told them all to go, and then he says these words, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Can you see? And so here, his walk of discipleship was long-lasting. It took him from the very beginning of his life and it was able to take him right through to the end. You see, this is Joshua. This is being given the opportunity to go up to a place that other people don't. So let me ask you again. So who are you climbing up into those places with? Because there will need to be someone. Jesus had Peter, James and John. Paul had a Timothy and Silas. And there was probably others like Priscilla and Aquila. There was probably others too. John Mark, though he fouled, fouled up, he got it right. The end of his life, being a support to Paul. So there's always people. But who are they in your life? And then also, he was there as a forerunner. See, he was, he was one who, as a forerunner, with all his military acumen, with all his ability to serve and stay in the tent of meeting, you know, and long for that, when Moses needed twen uh, 12 people to go in and spy out the land, who did he choose? Joshua of the tribe of Ephraim. He wasn't even a Judah who was going to go first. That was left to Caleb. And so you see this person and he seems to butt the trends. And he gets there. 
And he's given a place with priesthood. He's not part of the priesthood. And he's given a place to go in as an Ephraimite. And they weren't a very good tribe. You read the story of them. And so he goes in and he spies out the land. And so when they come back, you see, what you find as this forerunner, it wasn't that he's just going into new territory. He was a man of faith. He had seen. He had seen God. And because he'd seen God, it had made a lasting impression upon his life. It was a place where, as it said, the revelation he got wasn't just with plausible words of men's wisdom, Paul writing to the Thessalonians, but it came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that their faith might rest in God's power, not in men's words. And so here, this is Joshua. And so here, and he possessed that which he had seen. Isn't that amazing? All that he saw as a forerunner, he not only possessed it for himself, but he opened up the way for the 12 tribes, over 3 million people, to also possess their inheritance. Just like for us, needing to possess all that God has promised us. Every place where the sole of your foot will tread. God never gave that to Moses. He saved that for Joshua. I'm going to give it to you. And so when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He had given them all of their inheritance. And he now had his portion. And so then, the fifth thing was, he then was anointed to lead. Not until. So, you read the story, and in Numbers 27, it talks there, Moses asked God for a certain type of person. That is, Moses' prayer was that he wanted someone that God would appoint. Also, someone who would be trustworthy with an entrustment. Also, a leader who would not just sit there, but would go out and come in before the people. See, someone who would practically live out leadership for the people, so that what he did, he would show them that they could do. See, and so with him, he becomes the successor. And so you can understand why Moses asked Joshua to go a little bit further with him. Do you remember the disciples with Jesus needing to go a little bit further? You heard me say last week, all this is found in the story of Jesus Jesus gives us a practical application of how this all works out. Jesus went on mountains. Jesus went to places with a certain few. Jesus went um, to places on his own. He went to the Mount of Olives on his own. And then he went to Mount Calvary. And we talked about that last week. That's about surrender. See, but here he is giving Joshua an opportunity. And you find that in Joshua chapter 1. And it says there, Moses, my servant, is dead. And so the, the last mountain that Moses goes up, the third time he goes up, he doesn't come back. And uh, Sharon's praying that I don't climb a third mountain yet. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, so you find that there's... A, but Jesus, see, gives us the bigger picture to the story. Because Jesus went up Mount Calvary on his own. And what happened? Three days later, he rose from the dead. See? And he opened up a whole new realm for us to live in. Why don't you stand? I want to pray for you. That's why we need the supernatural realm. And I haven't even touched the book of Revelation chapter 4 yet. But you see, it's so easy to drift 
in our Christian walk. So easy to drift. And, uh, and when you're drifting, there's two powers that take control. There's the wind that will take control, so you're blown here and there. And there's also the, the undercurrents that will also carry you because there is no energy, no anointing, no power, no walk with God that is meaningful that actually takes you to where God wants you to get to. You see, and for Joshua, he made sure that he stayed in the main current of what God was doing. And he stayed close to a person by the name of Moses. Thanks for listening. Stay connected, be resourced and equipped by subscribing to our YouTube channel, our podcast channel, and following us on social media at Revival Fires on Instagram and Facebook. If you've been impacted by this ministry, why don't you consider investing and sowing a gift? Visit our website for details on how to give.